Praise God. Thank you, Lord. You, you did pay the price. You did make it possible. You came here. You humbled yourself. You made it possible for us to say thank you. This time as we're wrapping up uh, the Thanksgiving season, we ought never to, to cease giving thanks in all that we say and do uh, for that which you have given us. So open our hearts today as, as we read um, from your word and hopefully understand a little bit more about what it is that you want from us. In Jesus' name, amen. I know I've been here before, but <coughs> I have to stop every once in a while and reflect on just who God is. The Almighty, the Creator, everything that is, everything you are, everything you have, everything that we can see with our telescopes, and it just keeps on getting bigger. And God created all of that. He's the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect standard. The God of all the universe. And yet, one of his most mysterious attributes is that which we're taught in our churches, that he is three in one. And I'm not going to try to unpack the, what we call the Trinitarian doctrine today. <laughs> But it's necessary to at least touch on it because of what we are going to talk about today. Jesus, the Son of God, is called by John the Word. And he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God himself, the, 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 the Son, came and lived among us. We're going to be celebrating that here in this next month. <clears throat> he lived among us as a human being. And he prayed to God the Father as we all pray to God. Amen. And so, that is why we can speak of this incredible event that seems completely outside of our ability to understand. After all, he's God. He's the Almighty. He's the All-Powerful. There's nobody for him to pray to. But God prayed for you. You thought about that? Yeah. Jesus, God the Son, prayed to God the Father for you while he was here on earth. So, if Jesus prayed for us, might it be of value to explore the prayer that he prayed? Because in that we learn what was important to him. And maybe we ought to pay attention to it. And how many of you know that his prayer is going to be answered? Sure, as we were coming into the Thanksgiving, in fact, I think it was Friday morning, I still didn't know what I was going to talk about. Oh, 
and we were sitting as we often do in the morning, sitting together, having coffee, Linda's doing her Bible study, and it happened to be on John chapter 17. And so I said, well, would you, would you mind reading it to me? Of course, I could read it on my phone, but I just, uh, it was kind of a special moment there, sitting together, studying the Word. I hope everybody does that if you have a, a spouse that you spend time like that, studying the Word together. We don't do it enough. But she was reading that to me, and I was struck by the awesomeness of what I just was talking about, how God, how Jesus prayed for us. This prayer comes at the end of a passage that really starts all the way back in chapter 13, where Jesus, they've met in the upper room and, and uh, had the, the Passover together, and Jesus gets up and washes their feet. And then he begins to teach them. And in the, in the middle of all these wonderful things, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, in, in the middle of, of this teaching that he's doing, uh, at the end of chapter 14, I believe it is, he said, let's go. It doesn't say anything about where to go, and it's just, just kind of thrown at the end there. Get out, let's go. So, we find out that they are traveling. Uh, their, their eventual destination will be the place, the garden there where Jesus is betrayed by Judas. So these are the last things that he's saying to them. And this is the prayer that he prayed uh, as he's teaching them. And it has themes in it. I didn't... I didn't read a lot of commentaries on this. These are just the themes that I pulled out of the prayer just by reading it and studying it. But the first theme that I noticed is glory. And if you have, uh, we didn't put it up on, on the screen because it just would have been too much. But if you've got your Bible or your smartphone, however it is you're reading the Bible these days, uh, it might be helpful just to have the whole the chapter 17 up in front of you. But he talks about glory as one of, the, one of the themes that are in that prayer. Uh, eternal life is another theme that is in that prayer. And, and he says that we have that eternal life because we know him. And then he talks about several things that I just love under the category of, of, of sanctity or sanctification. Uh, we are given to Jesus. He says in verse 6, you gave them to me. And you gave them to me because they believe. They believe in his word. And it says that they're out of this world. And he prays that I did not ask of you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking that you keep them from the evil while they're, while they're here. And he gives us a mission in the world. And he says, sanctify them in your truth. And he says, your word is truth. And then, the big thing that I want to talk about, where he, he reminds up the prayer, is he talks a great deal about unity. And the way that he puts it is so beautiful. 
So we're going to start in verse 20. And I kind of sprung on my beloved asked if she would uh, read that for us today because I didn't practice it. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you <coughs> their future glory. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, so you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Amen. Amen. This prayer, read right there in verse 20, he says, I'm not only praying for these disciples that are with me, I'm praying for all the people who are going to believe because of their word. Well, guess who that is, folks? Uh, That's us. Uh, yeah. and he says something very interesting. Uh, back in verse uh, 13, which is not up there, but back in verse 13, he says that I'm saying these words right now so that their joy may be full. What I take from that, he's sharing this prayer uh, at this time, and John has, has later written it down for us, so that through the, the answering of that prayer, our joy, and through our understanding and our hearing that prayer, our joy is made full. How is it made full? I believe it's made full by the unity that he prayed for us. Amen. Unity with him, unity with one another. He said, he prayed that we may be one just as he is one with the Father. That is a pretty amazing statement if you think about it. But we're called in other places of the scripture, we're called joint heirs. Romans 8, 17 says that, that we're, we're joint heirs. And it also says that we will share in suffering. Galatians chapter uh, 3 verse 29 uh, also says the same thing that we're joint heirs through the promise that God made to Abraham. That we are, we are included in Israel's promise. Amen. And this is the 
amazing thing. And you can see it in verse 23 there in our passage. This is what I want you to think about because it will bless you so much if you can get it. And I haven't got it. It's hard for me to get into my head. But think about this. When you get discouraged, when you get down, when you get to thinking that you're worthless or how can anybody love me, I want you to get this. You who follow Jesus, I want you to get this. He loves you. Heavenly Father loves you just as much as He loves Jesus. Amen. Is that not all too awesome to fathom? He loves you that much. You are that special to Him. And He says, why, why is He praying this? Why is He praying that, that, that we would be one? He says that the world will believe. Tim just talked, brought it up again the other day, John 13, 35. What does he say? He says, people are going to know you're my disciples because you love each other. Amen. And then, once again, that theme of glory comes up. Glory is, I, I really would like to do a more extensive study on that because I'm still not quite sure I understand it. But glory, we know, comes, it, it belongs to the Father and is given by the Father. John chapter 8, verse 54 uh, says that. Uh, Jesus also shares, back in John chapter 5, starting about, one, about verse 40, one, that glory for men is worthless. When we seek to get glory from one another, we're going nowhere. The glory comes to us through Jesus. Amen. It's given by Him. It's given by the Father. And it enables our oneness. It allows us, verse 22, it allows us to experience unity. It's His glory. It's His doing. That's how He is glorified. Other ways in which glory. He is glorified. He is glorified by good works. He says that our good works glorify in a passage we studied a while back in Matthew chapter 5. People let our light shine and people who see our good works will glorify our Father who is in heaven. And he says those works are, are done in his name back in John chapter 14. He says when we ask for anything in His name, He'll do it, but it's in His name is the key. It's by His authority. It's something that He wants done. When you're doing something in somebody's name, uh, you're acting on their behalf. You're doing it because they want it done. So that's the thing we need to remember when we think about that passage, kind of going back to what Linda was teaching on, that the, the whole name and claim it. The only time we can name and claim it is when He claims it first. When he's already given it to us, and we are, and we know by faith that that, uh, that what we're claiming is is directly within his will. And at that point, yeah, you better have confidence. You better know uh, and have faith that he's he's going to do. But you have to hear that. That has to be something that he gave you. Uh, we can't apply it without that assurance. It won't work. But I'm getting off track. But, He says uh, that he he can say back in verse four of chapter seventeen that his word that he came and he did everything that he was uh, supposed to do 
uh, and brought glory to the Father. We also glorify God when we uh, exhibit spiritual fruit, when we are, are led by the Holy Spirit. John 15, 8, and then verse, uh, or chapter 17, verse 10. Glory comes from the, the gifting of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the fruit being produced. And glory comes with sacrifice. And we see that in Jesus' life because Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice demonstrated this. We're going to read the Christmas story, I'm sure, several times, many of us, before uh, the month of December is over. And even as he's being born as a helpless little baby there in Bethlehem in that manger, what are the angels singing? Glory to God in the highest. He says that, the, that the Jesus came, the Word came, John 1.14, and dwelt among us. He came flesh and dwelt among us. God of the universe. Jesus who shared glory with Heavenly Father. Uh, an infinite, I don't really understand, I don't know that any human, human being possibly can understand uh, what that was like or how Jesus existed before the time in which He came to us. But we know that He is part of the Godhead. We know that He is uh, all-powerful. And to reduce Himself in to one of us already is a sacrifice before the ultimate sacrifice happens. But then you see in, in John chapter 12 it talks about how he, he receives his glory and he talks about it again in, in 13 right after Judas has left he said okay I'm going to be glorified then. God's glory is in the price that he paid for us. We, when we think about somebody seeking glory, it's usually a negative connotation. It's usually, you know, we think about somebody seeking glory, it's all about them. Well, it's a little different with God because it really is all about them. <laughs> but even so, when we realize, and I haven't totally grasped this, I haven't totally studied it myself, but I'm I've been seeing as I read this prayer over and over again something that's just awe-inspiring to me. God's glory is in what He did. God finds His glory in the love and in the sacrifice and in the, uh, in the things that, that we do in His name that, uh, that give of ourselves. God's glory is not a vain thing. It's part of who He is. The loving and giving God that He is. And I can't articulate that well. I don't know that I ever will be able to. <laughs> but His glory is also in resurrection. He illustrated that with the story of Lazarus back in chapter 11. But then he prays back to our, our passage that we're working through here. In verse 24, he prays this. He prays uh, that we will be with him 
and see his glory. And you know what? And, and this is because he knows the Father. And it's because he's made the Father known to us. And he says that he will continue to do so. And he says this is so that we will be unified in love. Amen. God kept his promise this weekend. And we can know that anytime somebody goes home who knows the Lord, God kept his promise. Amen. God's prayer got answered. Amen. Somebody else got to be and see his glory. Praise God. Jesus desires of us that we are one, just as he and the Father are one. That we love each other that much. But instead, we often exhibit just the opposite. We exhibit disunity. And I'm sure it breaks the Father's heart. I read yesterday as I was looking that there are over 1,500 Christian faith groups in the United States. Now, as I read this, I also picked up on the fact that the writer was not Christian, so I think there's some cults and things involved in there uh, that maybe don't belong. But nevertheless, we all know there are all kinds of, of different things. And we split over everything. We split over differences in theology. We, we split over the different uh, ways that we observe uh, specific days or even what day we're supposed to worship on. We split ourselves up over worship styles. And some people, uh, some people uh, like the, the guitars and, and dancing. And some people don't think we're supposed to have any musical instruments at all. And we split, I think, most terribly, uh, most disturbingly, over basically personal grievances where we won't forgive each other and we have to go off and form our own church. And you got little towns that have second, third, fourth Baptist churches because people couldn't stay together. People couldn't stay in unity. That's some things are crucial. No church can call itself Christian without acknowledging Jesus as God and Lord. Amen. No church can call itself Christian without believing in a, re a literal death and resurrection, a bodily death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. No Christian, no church can call itself Christian uh, without accepting the Bible, which gives us the foundation as the Word of God. Because without a foundation, there's nothing to build on. How are we going to agree on anything? Now, we might disagree on what the Bible says, but we've got to agree that the Bible is the standard. Amen. Now, if we all understood it perfectly, there'd be no disagreement. But since we don't all understand it, there's places where we're just going to have to agree to disagree. But whatever we do, please... It just tears me up when I see these people get on the radio and just tear down other gospel preachers that they don't agree with. 
And you know, it's one thing to, uh, to confront what you believe to be bad theology. There's, there's a rightness in doing that. But when we move from that into demeaning the character of the person that we disagree with, and it's just, you know, it's even worse than politics. I don't know if it's worse than politics or not. I've heard some pretty nasty things said about you know, Christian brothers and sisters. I just hate that. <laughs> you know, there's certain people I believe are wrong, but I also believe, for the most part, that they are serving God to the best of their understanding and that they truly believe what they're teaching. Our love is supposed to draw people to Him. Our division drives them away. Amen. I think that's why some churches are now dropping their denominational designations from their names. Don't worry, I'm not suggesting that we do that. For one thing, I managed the website, they'd be a pain to change it all. <laughs> but uh, so that's why I think a lot of churches are doing that, because they don't want that, they don't want that barrier up. Uh, saying, oh, well, well, these people are Baptists or these people are Methodists. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was raised a, a Presbyterian, so I don't want to go to that church. Mm -hmm. so this unity, I think, is so important to him. That's the last thing that he prayed for us before he was to go to the cross, before Jesus walked up in that garden to give him the kiss of the trap. That we would be one so that others would know and believe and that we would be with him. And that's a prayer that will be answered and has been answered. I don't but it's only applicable if you're in the family. So if anybody hasn't joined the family, please make Jesus your Lord today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for making that sacrifice. Thank you for showing us through your own words and actions how you want us to live. You didn't just throw out a set of rules and regulations and say, this is what you better do. You came down personally and showed us this is how you do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you have given to us. Thank you for making a way that we can all join you. That your prayer will be answered. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.